we're, we're lying to to people so early on in our our, our podcast and come here. We didn't we didn't record this episode, Dub. No, we didn't, and we'd just like to put out a public apology for our deceit. We are we're going to take a fortnight to go away, reflect, learn, and heal. Yeah, in fact, none of them are in order, are they? No, no. It's, it's all one big long lie. In fact, it's actually just David and I putting on voices. Been working on impressions of a, a number of beloved um, musicians over over lockdown. Episode seven, which we probably recorded seconds, is actually awful. <laughs> <laughs> Emma Pollock stopped me in the street and uh, and punched me in the face because she heard my hour long impression of her. It was pretty good, to be fair. I thought it was pretty dead on, but no, mm-hmm. um, she burst my nose. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs>Welcome to Still Doing the Music, aye? A new podcast that will hopefully give you, the listener, an insight into parts unfamiliar. There are plenty of podcasts that talk about the music and the process, and we will chat about that. But we're also going to talk around the music and shine a light in the bits that don't get discussed so often. We're not going to bore you about spreadsheets and heavy lifting. Although there is a lot of that. We're going to talk to objectively successful artists and find out how they cope with a constantly changing industry. How they cope with having to be an accountant. An influencer. And a manager, amongst many other things, on top of making music in one way or another. How they cope with the constant devaluation of recorded work and the harsh realities of touring. And how they juggle their other jobs and roles to literally survive as an artist today. Today's guest was a teen punk sensation and toured the world with her band of high school pals. Operator Please picked up rave reviews, awards and thousands of kilometres with two effervescent albums under their belt and debut single Just a Song About Ping Pong hit the top 20 in Australia, picking up an ARIA award and soundtracking the iPhone 3G advert. After a serendipitous meeting with John Bailey Jr. of Dan and Ann and Aykroyd whilst they both supported the future heads in Dundee, the pair went on to form exquisite pop group Bossy Love with 2019 album Me and You shortlisted for the Scottish Album of the Year award. Please give us your full attention and welcome to your commute gym session or insomniac podcast session live from Copenhagen, Amanda Wilkinson. So, Amanda, still, still doing, doing the music, music eh? Yeah, I'm still doing it. <laughs> what have you been up to? Tell us, tell us what you've been doing. Well, kind of since the pandemic happened, I, I, uh, I, I went into like learning mode. Uh, just because like we couldn't do anything obviously so I you know went to online production school and I learned how to use Ableton and I just did a whole bunch of songwriting because I was obviously in my feels stuck in the house type thing Um, and then kind of a new project for me my kind of first solo project was born Um, and it's just under Amanda and then, yeah, I started releasing music in March this year and plan on going until the end of the year. And then I have a couple more songs for next year. Um, but, yeah, I'll plan those once I've finished releasing the rest of these collection of songs, really. That's really exciting. Amazing. And you've got a, you've got a new single coming out about the same time as this podcast, haven't you? Yes. Uh, it's the last kind of one from this series of songs. 
So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited for it. I've just kind of been, um, I've been taking it quite easy and just kind of, I think now that I've grown up a bit, I've obviously, my expectations are in check. And for me now, it's kind of more about releasing this music and getting out there so that I can continue to write and just uh, make more, you know? I mean, you have, uh, you have had a very illustrious and long career already for... <laughs> so young in years yeah it's been nuts like I kind of look back on it and I guess each version of Amanda is is so strange to me now you know but like I look back on teenage years really and I'm like I don't even it's not that I don't remember doing it but it's just like I don't even know how do you know I know that like I I know that I worked really hard and I had huge dreams of making it out of the Gold Coast, but it's just surreal to me that it actually happened, you know? It's it's incredible. Actually, David and I were chatting because we feel like, so you were touring, am I right in saying that you were touring around like the ages of 17, like really young out there with operating? Yeah, so please? super young. Um, yeah, it was wild. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think about it now and I'm like, that's crazy. I can't believe our parents let us do it with so much independence as well. Um, because I don't even know if I would feel the same if my teenage kid went out touring, you know? But I guess when I was young, you couldn't tell me anything. Couldn't tell me no. (laughs) Can we chat a little bit, because I'm really interested in this. So because you've toured, you've toured around the world, various places, where did you enjoy performing and creating music the most, or where did you find had the best kind of attitude towards music that kind of sat in line with yours? Um, gosh, probably France and Germany, to be honest. That's cool. I, um, I mean, and to be fair, like Scotland was always the kind of diamond in the chart for the UK because I knew that once I got to Scotland, the crowd was going to be great. Mm -hmm. It was going to be fun and people were going to be nice. Do you know? So I think that was like one thing that kind of drew me to Scotland in the first place was that every time we crossed that border, I knew that we were going to have a good bunch of shows and I didn't have to like, you know, I wasn't stressed out about it. Um, I guess in England I was a bit because, you know, we were doing the toilet tour and, you know, the above the toilet tour type thing. So it was all of those venues like, you know, so, but I know that I knew that coming to Scotland, I would feel fine. And then I knew going to France and going to Germany, I would also have a good time. So those three places were really the places that I was excited to go back to just because of general crowd reaction, how many people knew the songs and you would just have a good time. It was a good time. It wasn't stressful. Do you know? Okay. Yeah, there's a yeah there's a real uh, there's a real joy to going across like france and germany um because they it really they is treat, they take care of you they huh? they, yeah they treat you with such well they treat you with dignity <laughs> <laughs> they do they like you know you get a per diem you get food, food. cooked for you mm. you're looked after you know you're really looked after for some reason they're um, looking at it as a real and job those were the things that i got mo- most excited about because as you know like touring in the back of a splitter van for six months yeah. there's only so many marks and spencer's meals you can go oh through before you've done and trying to upkeep the whole I'm going to eat healthily today, but ultimately right. eating from services is a nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> because there's no money, right? No. You've got no money. Like, 
And as a teenager, like that was crazy. Yeah. I'd come home and my mum would be like, you're sick. And I'm like, no, literally just haven't eaten a warm meal for like six months. Yeah. Yep. I know we, yeah, that's everyone <laughs> talks about this, like eating from services and coming home and feeling <laughs> rotten. <laughs> I think like my order, like my my services order was uh, Marks and Spencer's. Uh, I think it was like blue cheese and pear salad, Oof. and then a chocolate milk <laughs> <laughs> balance. <laughs> You've kind of nicely taken what us on to, to David's favourite question that he likes asking people. <laughs> David, take it away. What is your worst experience at a motorway services? Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. There's so many. Like, I, oh, my God. Okay. It, just in general, motorway services are horrific. Like, everybody knows this. But there was there was two strange ones, really strange ones, maybe not one very worst one, but one really strange. So we were, I can't remember where this is. I think it's just outside of London, maybe on the way to, I want to say, God, I want to say Cambridge or somewhere like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, but it was not too far out from London. I don't know specifically where, but we'd parked up the splitter van outside a uh, a uh, travel lodge, right? Yeah. Travel lodge, that's another bloody story. But, yeah, <laughs> we parked up outside a travel lodge, and so we're sitting there, we're getting ready to, like, get out to go across the services because it was very busy in there and there was no car parks Mm -hmm. travel lodges right next door anyway um and then another car just pulls up empty parking lot like only two cars over type thing and you know how in the back of a splitter van you can't see anything it's like black windows no one knows you're in there Mm -hmm. anyway a a guy that literally uh, no offense to him or wherever he is god bless uh (laughs) Looking like someone from League of Gentlemen literally got out of the car and started, like, getting undressed, just, like, completely. (laughs) And, I mean, he had skids on his undies. I'm not kidding. There was yellow, like, imprints all over his body. Literally, it looked like it was it was horrific. Like, I think I was about 17. I was like, what the fuck is actually happening here? Like, why... Why are you getting changed in a parking lot? Anyway, he proceeds to take off his clothes, then grabs a bottle of water and a towel and starts to just aggressively wipe his butt, like, on this towel. And, like, we are sitting in there, like, horrified, you know, can't say anything, can't leave, frozen. I'm frozen in fear. Like, what the fuck do I do? The the, the door that opens is right on his side. I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to have to stay here oh. until this is over. And it was like 35 minutes. No. Oh, my God. Yeah. And like this wasn't, you know, like this wasn't someone living in their car. Do you know what I you know, like they got changed into like. I think it was a Hugo Boss suit and it was even a like a fancy BMW. Like I'm not kidding. Wow. It was the strangest thing I've ever seen in my life. And it was one of the first tours we did in the UK. So I was like, Welcome Is this to the UK. <laughs> you know, like how welcome. It was so horrible. Um really shocking, super shocked, one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life. I am just so impressed you didn't just push your thumbs into your eyes. Uh-huh. I was just, I think we were mesmerized because we were like, <laughs> what is happening? What is going on? Um, 
the other one, the other, the other story is probably <laughs> even worse. I'm gonna say. Um, Hold on till I just strap myself in. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, strap yourself in. So, I think we were on our way to we were on our way to either Reading or Leeds Festival, one of them, and like there was a massive traffic jam as there always is and i needed to pee so bad to the point i was crying because like i was about to burst i was about to burst and literally i couldn't believe it that i was seconds away from pissing my pants as a teenager do you know like as an 18 year old i'm like i'm going to piss my pants like right now do you know and like i was crying i was like i think it was any way for any water to get out of my body do you know it was like <laughs> <"Let's unhear this> <laughs> and um so we go to this we go to the stop right everything's all good as i walk through the doors there are people like yelling from the toilets and coming out and i'm like what is happening like why is this happening anyway a, like a pipe had burst and the toilets had overflowed and the entire services oh. were slowly being covered in shit. Oh. Like oh, no. people were running out. There was people that were trapped standing on the staircase because there was literal floating turds and toilet paper all over the floor of this place. And it was seeping out, you know, like a slow wave. I was like, damn this. And so like I, we backed up. I'm like crying now because we finally got to a services and that like, I thought I was finally going to pee. Right. No. So your body, it so relaxes. Well. Right. So I'm, I'm like, I'm like crying. Cause I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm going to piss. Right. So we end up having to leave. And like, we were lucky because we wanted the first cars out, the rest of the cars that were stuck in there you know we're stuck in a line with this you know shit seeping down into the car park like it was i can't even i can't even explain to you the amount i was just shook i was i've you know and again i'm like the uk man what the fuck is happening Do you know? like this is my experience anyway i ended up having to pee on like a hill on the side of the motorway in the emergency lane in broad daylight and at that point i didn't even care oh, because like just waving the cars you know, by like, i didn't even care i just like amongst the bloody yeah on the hill under an on near a bloody overpass bridge it was and and then and then we went straight into the festival and like <laughs> oh, <Rocks trauma>. <laughs> <laughs> bit of catharsis. Absolutely absolutely traumatizing. <laughs> but yeah, those are my two most memorable events. They're both there's a top of taking uh, the, the award of anyone that we've ever spoken <laughs> to. We might have to send you a trophy. Uh-huh. <laughs> It was wild. It was wild. And like, imagine you're like an 18 year old coming to play a really amazing festival. And then that happens like a couple hours before you go on stage. It was, it was something. Mm. But at least you, you, you <laughs> learned that um, motor, motorway nudity was an acceptable thing in the UK. So, yeah. <laughs> motorway nudity is acceptable and overflowing shit wave. <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy. That's a good. Uh, that's a good band name. Yeah, <laughs> overplaying yeah. shitwave. Bag safe. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, maybe we should steer it off from some shit. I mean, I don't really want to, if I'm honest. But you know, we're in the thick of it now. Uh, oh. 
think lots of people listening and, and know that you know we were interviewing you would like to chat a little about your work with Henhouse. Oh yeah. yeah. And I particularly would love to know what it's like with like workflow and feel and working in a creative space with only women and non-binary people like how yeah. how does that feel? I mean it's incredibly fun. Yeah. Also, it's incredibly safe. And, you know, like you feel like you are can voice any opinion that you want. You don't feel like you're not good enough. Like there's so many things. It's an incredibly safe and encouraging space. And, you know, like I feel like in the music industry, particularly women are pitted against each other. I mean, this is an age old story. We're pitted against each other. We're in competition with each other. And there hasn't been a lot of space to actually come together and collaborate. And there has been people that fully take on those roles and fully kind of, you know, take the ladder away for other people coming up. And so I feel like with Henhurst, it was the complete opposite. It was a total um, uh, inspiring and amazing place to be working, um, kind of like creatively on songs and just, you know, just kind of getting to know other musicians as well. And finally being in a space where you're not being pitted against each other, where you're not seen as competition, you know, where there's no hierarchy. So it was fantastic. And, you know, I'm starting up again with them in October and November and yeah, I'm just super excited. Like, in terms of workflow, when we started, it was obviously Corona. So a lot of it was done remotely. I mean, all of it was done remotely and it would be zoom calls like this, where we would catch up and we would talk about the brief that we had been given. Cause we would have two briefs that we could choose from. And I guess the main focus of it was to flex that writing muscle and kind of come out of yourself and actually write for the purpose of writing instead of the purpose of writing for yourself. So there's a lot to say about kind of working through those ego points that you may have personally and dropping it all, you know, just for the sole purpose of writing and for the sole purpose of ensuring that the song hits brief and it's how it's supposed to feel slash be so there's a lot of kind of moving through yourself and really learning how to step away from yourself as an artist and come into yourself as a writer so did it change the way that you approached writing or have approached writing? well i i've already i've always had like a super collaborative um you know, I think like because I've been writing for so long at a very young age, I really learned to drop the ego thing, you know, and and, you know, I just love writing. I love co-writing. I love collaboration. I love the idea that no two people are exactly the same when it comes to writing something. But I think what it did for me is I learned so much about myself through production and what sounds I gravitate towards and how I really do sculpt the song. Um, so yeah, man, it was a really big eye-opening experience for me and it kind of pushes you out of your comfort zone to work in so many different genres, you know, or different soundscapes or something that you wouldn't normally think of by yourself. Mm-hmm. You, it's right in front of you when you're working with somebody else. And I think that's the big beauty of the whole Henhoos project. Yeah. There's some amazing artists. Mm-hmm. Like we were- yeah and and just getting the chance to write with somebody that you know you might even be a fan of already yeah. is wild so it's very cool um so i'm super excited to start that one back up in the next couple of months and 
yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm excited to see who I'll be paired with. That's an incredible um, kind of roster of, of artists as well that have all come together. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's wild. Um, Tamara has just, you know, she's done really well trying to bring everybody together and, you know, bring people from all different backgrounds, which I think is really important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, I'm trying to keep this. I, I, I quite like going from like, tell me something serious that you're doing to tell me something absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. Can I just, can I get a live reaction from you just uh, after your stories there though? So um, I'll just say say something quick to you and then you react to it, okay? Charlotte enjoys using the showers and service stations. What? Well, yeah, that's... (laughs) No, listen, listen, let's let's open that a little bit more. Sorry. What I've said, or what I have said, is that when touring and when doing toilet tours that don't always have showers there are certain services that have passable showers i'm sorry i was being sensationalist tb has, I would, has a nice I, would, shower. I would agree i would agree with that but you did you wear shoes in the of shower because you always know. a flippy floppy let's let's not be silly <laughs> nobody wants trench mouth or foot so it's always a closed mouth shower and a crock okay, okay so i find the services in wales to be way cleaner than the ones in the uk because <laughs> like, all the ones in england are swimming in shit it was so same. <laughs> i it's <laughs> just like an interconnecting oh. shite wave. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, no. oh. Sorry, back to back to, to the ridiculous. So, I feel like this has gone a real toilet route. <laughs> very... Toilet, oh, toilet overflow. Have you ever down toilet? <laughs> Do you know David's going to? You know, like here in Copenhagen, some pa- uh, some apartments have showers so small that it's literally a toilet. Wow! No, but you can sit on the toilet and have a shower. That's you know that's. Uh, I don't know how I feel I, about it. It's like cupboard shower. Hmm. Well, it's fucking horrible. I don't, you know, like sometimes, sometimes I've got friends that have it. I'm like, Ugh. you know, in my head, I'm thinking, how the fuck do you shower in here? Like, yeah, it's like, how much time do you need to save? Amanda, tell me, have you ever had something go so horribly wrong on tour that it's kind of almost <laughs> funny, but in the same same breath it's almost made you think i'm just going to give up <laughs> oh my god i mean oh god oh, i mean there's so many to choose from <laughs> I, I think the uh, one of them one of them which you know wasn't like i'm gonna just give up now it was like why the fuck is this happening do you know mm-hmm. the one of them was being interrogated by the police at the airport in australia um, and being accused of importing instruments to sell. That was huge. So we just come off like a long flight, you know, the long flight from the UK um, and coming into Australia and we were about to actually perform at the Arias. Like we were hours away from sound checking. And then the next day we would perform. We got held up at the airport despite having the right paperwork because there's this paperwork. I'm sure you guys know what it is. You have to have it and it lists all of your instruments and basically declares that you're not selling it, right? And, yeah, we got interrogated for like two and a half hours and they were not going to let us go. 
<laughs> and like after coming off a flight and taking in a bunch of teenagers mm. and interrogating them about instruments and like, you know, asking us questions like, what's the serial number on this one? I'm like, I don't know. Like, do I just memorize it? Well, if it was your instrument, surely you'd know if you loved your instrument. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe this is happening. I cannot believe this is happening. It's the only time we've ever used. Our tour manager was like, hey, just Google them. Google these kids' names. Mm. Do you know? <laughs> the only time I've ever had to use that, right? Yeah. And it's so cringe to ever have to use that. You know but if it's between sitting in like a tiny room in the airport being accused of importing instruments it was wild and that one was just like why the fuck do i even do this like why yeah. do i do this and it was like you know jet lag so tired stinking no shower like seriously um that was one time where i was like oh my god i cannot deal with this you know um like and i guess like the other times I don't think we've like, you know, there's been times where we were playing a festival and they literally forgot our instruments, you know, so we, <laughs> we were playing a melt festival in Germany and we'd just flown from Norway, which were, I don't know how to pronounce this festival, but it's on the top of a bloody mountain anyway. Uh, and like, they just didn't load our instruments, like excess baggage. So we got to the festival and like our tour manager had to run around and we had to borrow instruments off everybody and just play the show it was yeah that was wild um eventually our stuff did end up turning up but when we got back to the airport we picked it up and then we flew out anyway to somewhere else so that was another one where I was like oh fuck oh this is really cool and I think like around that time I kind of had got to the point where you know so many of those hiccups happen that I was like right I'm just gonna let this be and let's just see what happens do you know and (laughs) for an 18 year old having to do that like learn how to do that (laughs) Yeah. Just, just, you know, it says something. But I think like, and this is like, maybe, you know, I think it's not so much something going horribly wrong. I think it's more like, sometimes you're just like not treated as a human anymore, right? Like be that by label, management, agent, whatever. Like I think I remember this one time we had just literally flown over to UK on like a 36-hour flight after finishing a tour in Australia straight from our show to the airport. And then as we arrived in the UK, we were then driven straight to Brighton to then go on stage and play a show. So like – we were so tired out of it. And then the band that we were supporting were like so awful and condescending because they like hated that we were young, mm. do you know? Yeah. And like, that was one of the moments where I was like, why the fuck am I doing this? Why am I doing this? I was ravaged, you know? Yeah. And even though we were like, you know, stop, don't do that. Like, why would we do that? We were just told it'd be great exposure. Uh, oh, exposure. You, you know, like, and this is, you know, this is like, this is maybe not so lighthearted and funny, but, you know, also finishing a tour and then seeing like on MySpace, rest in peace, MySpace, <laughs> like a hundred more dates added without your knowledge, uh, you know, and then later finding out that one of the managers was siphoning the tour support money. So like, 
you know, not it, that kind of thing was like, oh, fuck it. Like, fuck this. <laughs> Why am I doing this? So that's not funny. I do. I do laugh at like the being a zombie, a literal zombie on stage, because I do think that's hilarious because like I don't know how the fuck we did it. But yeah, those are the those are the things where I'm like, oh, God, I'm just going to pack it in. <laughs> that's how we're talking to people. This is like this is a safe space for some free kind of like primal scream therapy. Um, you just I, get it all off really? your chest. If you're enjoying this podcast Patreon. or would like to incentivize us to get better at it, Patreon. Head over to our Patreon. 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 A hundred percent Patreon. Patreon page. Become a patron of the podcast. Head to patreon.com forward slash SDTMA. That is patreon.com forward slash SDTMA. And what does that stand for, David? Still doing the music, eh? (sighs) Wow. Seamless stuff. So... If you can chuck us a few quid a month, that'll really help us to produce and make this podcast. But if you can't afford that, you can listen for free. We are living in a hellish dystopia after all. So we quite like discussing if people's personal proudest achievements uh, actually match the biggest achievement that you would put on your CV or are they completely different and you just put something that you feel like you should on top of your CV? I think biggest achievement for me like in music was probably breaking internationally you know for me that was always my goal like something that I did or like the music taking me worldwide and that was like you know it was amazing I got to travel I got to see so many amazing places and I think that really changed me as a person and made me appreciate a lot of things, um, made me appreciate home life. It made me appreciate friends and family, that core support you have. And it also made me appreciate how I had been able to grow into a different person, because I don't think that if I, if I hadn't like toured internationally and done those types of things, I think I would probably be a very different kind of Amanda. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I really like who I am now. Um, I think other things for me, like if we want to talk, you know, obviously it was, um, Glastonbury was a big one because as a, you know, young growing up, that was one of the, that's like the festival of festivals, you know, that was a big one. So playing that was huge. And then, uh, doing like things like later with Jules Holland was really great. And like in the basement with Nigel Godrich just stuff that you don't think in your your whole life would happen and like playing with sonic youth and like yeah. it was like that just like in terms of like the music and where the band took me um i think those were some of the biggest you know the what the most memorable and the biggest achievements that i think about obviously winning awards is really nice and that's great and stuff but I think like it was the experiences that I was able to do because the music took me globally, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess like, if I'm going to get, I'm going to get quite like introspective here and maybe like, it's not what everybody would think, but I think like my biggest personal achievement, to be honest, was finally learning that I'm a separate person from my music and from being a musician. Um, 
you know, I know that that's kind of like <laughs> strange to say, but no, at all. I think a lot of a lot of the time when you are music and it's all you are, you have been making music and it's all you know how to do or all you like to do, and you find some kind of, you know, success, you know, success with it. It's really hard to just feel like that's all you are. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me, it took me a really long time. It probably took me from when we started Operator until when we, you know, until when I was writing for Bossy Love, for me to realize that I was also a human outside of making music and that I could also just be Amanda and just be. I didn't have to always be performing or, you know, I didn't have to always be describing myself through what I did type thing. <laughs> Um, so that's probably, you know, it might not seem like an achievement to most, but for me it is. And it really gave me that clarity and really helped with like my mental health. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that I have. Yeah. That's probably my biggest personal achievement because now I'm able to kind of separate myself from it and know that life exists outside of, you know, making music and touring and, and, uh, you know, the whole creation side of things. Yeah, that's that's such a healthy space to be, uh, place to be because, I mean, if anything, that blurred line and lack of separation is getting worse with the yeah, it really of social is. media. Yes. Yeah, it really is. Like it's, I see a lot of musicians now, and I've you know, like I do a lot of writing sessions and I do a lot of work with kind of younger up and coming artists here in Denmark and. You know, I see that, you know, it's something that you can see from the outside when you're not in it. But obviously that person can't separate themselves yet because it's all so new and because you're having to do things like TikTok and Instagram and I guess show so much of yourself uh-huh. but whilst also promoting your music. So I think the lines are extremely blurred right now. So it's very hard for people to understand that they are themselves outside of what they do. Um, so yeah, I think it would be very difficult now had I grown up in this era of social media. You were a judge in the Sound of Scotland Award last year. Yeah. And so what did you kind of take away from that experience and also the work that you're currently doing, seeing what new artists uh, are bringing to the table? Like what kind of excites you about that and what what's it like? I'm just, <laughs> I'm excited at how different and how um, experimental and how really out there the youth, I mean, I talk about the youth, but like how different everything is out there and like not being afraid of pushing boundaries mm. kind of thing and experimenting with all different sounds and kind of, you know, I, the, the thing that I've always thought about, you know, music from quite an early stage is that, you know, you can kind of make whatever genre you want. I don't really believe in sticking to a certain thing so that, you know, people will love it forever. I do believe there is something to be said about giving people what they want Mm. type thing, but that's kind of if you're really playing the game game, you know? And so I really love how now kind of your younger musicians coming up, there's no one, you know, there's no one telling them, oh no, you can't mix this with that. That doesn't work. There's no one telling them that and they're just doing it. And, you know, I think that's super inspiring and amazing is just daring to go where, you know, people haven't before 
Mm-hmm. And also remixing older, getting inspiration from older stuff and like it coming out in a new way that you haven't heard before. So like going through those entries, I was like, shit, there's so much amazing stuff here. There's so many good new up and coming songwriters as well. And also that kind of brave vulnerability that we see. And, you know, in turn, that has some kind of influence from social media, obviously. But there is a lot of kind of more bearing things on your sleeve in terms of lyrical, lyrically speaking, with a lot of up and coming artists as well. There's not so much um, kind of hidden meaning. I, I know that when I was younger, there was a lot of, I would kind of hide stuff in metaphors because I was so afraid of being a vulnerable woman mm-hmm. or being seen as vulnerable because of the environment that I was kind of coming into, you know? And so now I think it's really beautiful seeing all of these young artists kind of really fully express, like fully express and fully trying to connect and the connection being the main focus here. So yeah, when I went through all the entries, it took me so long to kind of come down to a top five because I was just so blown away at kind of the earnestness, the honesty and the interesting soundscapes and stuff that was coming through. So, you know, I've learned to be, you know, to be even more open and to go to the uncomfortable places that you don't want to go to, because that's the stuff that really connects with people or speaks to someone, you know? How did you find the judging process of it? Because obviously there was many artists and people yeah. in the industry on, on that panel coming from different angles and different genres. Was, was it an easy process? Was it... I kind of, you know, I kind of went by like, you know, my ethos in music is that like you let the song do whatever it's supposed to do type thing, you know, and so I kind of had to apply that to the listening process is like what grabbed me and where, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, it was like what was instant for me and what really spoke to me and that's just what I went off like gut feeling. Um, so yeah, it was really hard to go through the process, but then I think I made, you know, I think my top five was the decisions, the right decisions because of how I felt about it. And then the winner was who I, who I thought would be at number one. So I was very happy that they won. Yeah. That was, I was at the, I was at the awards. It was a great night. It was lots of amazing People performing. Yeah. Well. Was, yeah. There's so much good stuff in Scotland. Yeah. Man. There really is. So much. There really is. Um, speaking of winning awards and massive music or musical moments in your career, tell us about a really big musical high, like a joyous musical bubble that has then been immediately punctured, bringing you down to earth. <laughs> <laughs> Hell. <laughs> just a light question okay just a, just a really light one okay um the first one i can think of is like finally finishing operator please's debut album and you know being really happy and proud of it and then immediately being told that it didn't have enough hits see this is this is this industry isn't it like this is because this question everyone's like why would you why would you not just ask for like the high it was like because they always come with a low it does it does it's really it's you know yeah it's really how it is the highs and the lows 
followers really balance each other out. Like, how did you respond to that? Been told that there weren't enough. Um, I mean, I was very upset and very angry. And then I ended up writing three tracks more that ended up being singles. So I guess it was like I out of anger and spite, really. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It was good and bad. I don't know. Like, but, you know, I was really proud of the record and just being told doesn't have enough hits. It's kind of like, fuck, man. Yeah, why don't you just, like, rip my heart out and stomp on it? You know? That's how that was. Um, (laughs) I guess another one is, okay, so playing with Jules Holland, playing on Jules Holland, and then one of our band members going missing for the next three days. Oh, That was crazy. That's scary. I, yeah, was totally fine. Just was having a like eloping with somebody from the UK, which was fucking weird. Um, Yeah. And like going, yeah, not missing for three days. So like, you know, coming off the high of playing that and, you know, it being on TV and being one of the most viewed shows at the time, blah, blah, blah. And then just a band member decides to just go missing. So you know, and obviously me being the oldest out of the teenagers, I was like, what the fuck? Do you know? Because, like, before we went on tour, the parents were like, I'm under, take good care of our kids. You know? <laughs> <Is that> true? <laughs> you know, literally, I was the oldest person. <laughs> you know, um, what else? I think in the very, very, very early days of Operator Please, when we were playing local shows, getting our first gig and then the gig being cancelled two minutes before we went on stage because they found out we were underage. No. (laughs) That was like, we did sound check and everything literally about to step on stage. And the guy was like, it's over, it's cut. How old are you? And we're like, oh, fuck. You're like, no, how old are you? (laughs) Yeah, I I um uh, I used to be in a, in a band of um of older guys when I was in high school um and uh, I had to get um sneaked into the Holt Bar to play to play a gig occasionally. Um, oh my god, yeah. So it's like yeah, that was... put a towel over my head or like a wee stick on mustache. For some reason, in my head, you were born with a beard. No, sorry, I was uh, I was an extremely uh, like kind of. Frightened looking, uh, very plucky, clean shaven, uh, 16 year old at the time. Nice. Oh my God. I love that. I'm 25. Another one was uh, getting funding and then getting ditched by management and agent because they decided to quit their careers. Wow. <laughs> that oh, was management <laughs> That was fucking wild. Yeah. It was like, yeah, guess what? We got the ball. Oh, that's, yeah, that's like a sick joke. No, um, and then also I think the most obvious one that I think every touring band can relate to is playing all these huge shows, but then literally not having enough money to eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking grim. It's grim, but like, it's the truth. But it's good, though, because we all paid a rent and exposure that year. So yeah. uh-huh. I know. Exposure used to be such a great currency for <laughs> rent. <laughs> Tasty bowl of exposure every morning. Mm, mm-hmm. Aye, but there's, yeah, there's that. Those things. Well, Those things. The like. The <laughs> but you're right. It's like it's such a balance. So you don't ever have any, <laughs> any idea of balance until you, something good happens to you in the music industry. 
<laughs> because there's always something that's like no 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 <laughs> um so we've had we had someone else on who has had the jules holland experience um and yeah. uh, it would be remiss if it's not to ask you if you are if you enjoyed the big boogie boogie piano uh, jam along at the start Oh my God, no. So literally, <laughs> literally, we, you know, we're, um, I don't know, like, what an E note is. Like, I hear everything, right? <laughs> like, I don't fucking know what that is. So they're like, we're jamming in the key of blah, blah, blah. So literally, like, I had this, I, I, I didn't know that they did this at the beginning of every show. I just was like, oh, surely it's planned. No. So I was like, okay, drummer, drummer, you go nuts. Go for it violinist you go for it because she was classically trained right i just turned my tuner on and, and played the yes. e string yes. <laughs> nice so move my hands along the fretboard i mean you could probably go and find it on youtube somewhere and laugh but like literally that's what i did um i did not enjoy it it was very scary and yeah but then once that was over and you got to play your song that was fine amazing <laughs> But the jam part, I was like, oh, fuck, what is happening? <laughs> the Jules jam. Yeah. I, no. yeah. I appreciate your candle. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hilarious. I was like, oh, my God. I'm literally sweating, like sweating. Uh-huh. When he was like, now we're going to jam and the, and, the, and the camera comes panning around. And you're like, oh, God, oh, God. I, I would be sweating. I would do that thing where I look at, I often do this. I look at my bass and I'll be like, this gig's going well. Fuck, what's an A? <laughs> and yeah, literally, I, I just looked at my feet, really, and just pretended and, like, kind of leaned over my guitar so that you couldn't really see what I was doing. That looks cool, um, though. <laughs> that looks cool. <laughs> and, like, and, like, I think even, like, Crowded House were in the room because their son, uh, I mean, one of the sons, I think it was Liam... I, he's, you know, I don't know what his last name was again, but he was on the same touring circuit as us like all the time. So he was uh, playing. And so like Crowded House were just like on the other side of the audience. <laughs> I'm like, oh God. <laughs> you no know, pleasure. and they're like a huge deal in New Zealand, Australia. And, you know, I was like, shit, I'm just going to pretend like I know what I'm doing. Amazing. Just fall at the feet. Hey. You're all so welcome for that, and you can cut that straight out. You can cut it. That's Stephen. Amanda, talk to me about streaming and the impact um. that streaming has had on. Well, you you'll have seen it. Like we have, like the shift into streaming and how that's impact us all. And yeah. I'm pretty yeah, sure yeah. you have the same opinion as we do <laughs> on it. I, I mean, you know, the positive. You know, there are positives to it. As much as there's a lot of people that say that, aren't. I mean, I guess the positives are that we're kind of being exposed to so many new artists, so many different artists, so many different styles, and it's become more of like an open industry type thing in that sense it's uh you know it's become not exclusive anymore but the downside of that is now that the value of music just doesn't exist Mm. yeah you know it's really sad to say but it's become something that kind of everybody expects to just be there and it's not you know and it's not even a and it's not and it's not an open playing field when it comes to actually you know, earning anything or making a living for it or actually, you know, being pushed forward because there's, you know, what we're seeing is a very small portion of folk with a lot of power influence and the majority without any. So, you know, and it's even more unregulated than before. 
every musician I know works one or two jobs to sustain themselves, you know? So now it's less about, you know, how talent or less about how, you know, and obviously the people that are on major labels and stuff like that are, they obviously are very talented, but we can't ignore that they are in a privileged position, you know? Mm. Um, And, you know, now with the independent people and the independent musicians trying to have a crack at music, it's um, not about whose music is the best, you know, you have to be good at everything else. And now it's more about who's the best at marketing, you know? Yeah. Um, And that's how I honestly feel about it. And I'm grateful the fact that it's become accessible, you know, with streaming services and things like that. But the fact that I still make the majority of my money and income from my first band, which was 16, 15 years ago, is nuts. Considering I've written so many more songs since then and I've been in another project since then and now I'm in my own project. And not only that, I've been co-writing for other people too, do you know? So it's wild that like my stuff from 15, 16 years ago is still the biggest source of income for me now in 2022. So, yeah. Shouldn't have saved this one till last. I know. (laughs) I know. You can edit it. (laughs) That in itself is just crazy, isn't it, though? Yeah. It is. It is. There's like, it is. And it's more and more unregulated and... Yeah, it's just like I feel like something has to give, but it won't give until we all kind of band together and make it happen, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, spending your your Friday with us. My God, of course. Um, That was was an absolute hoot. Best uh, motorway service story we're um, probably ever going to have. This the scat the yeah. scatological theme of this one uh, is it's going to get us a lot of, a, a lot of listens and a lot of complaints. Ah, <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> this podcast was recorded for Glad Radio at the Deep End in Glasgow, Scotland, and edited by me, David McGregor. Today's episode was written by me and Charlotte Printer. All music composed by me and all. This episode was sponsored by your next door neighbour because your hilarious Wi-Fi router names changed weekly are beginning to teach their children concepts and words they are not comfortable with. <laughs>